thing kicks in. But hey, good morning, everybody, and welcome to another awesome edition of Power Hour. I'm Claire Davis, and if you are new to us today, welcome. If it's your first time, pop in the chat where you're tuning in from. We would love to see who is with us this morning, and we're so grateful for your time. We have had some incredible guests on the show where we talk about everything from gratitude to productivity to selling better. And today is an incredible topic. We're going to talk about how you can improve your public speaking. So I have a very special guest with me today. I am so excited to introduce him here in a minute, but we are really, truly grateful to have you with us. So again, welcome to Power Hour this morning. Tell us where you're tuning in from and be sure to ask any questions in the chat too, so we can make sure that we get to those as well. So Good morning, guys. It's so great to be here with everybody. Uh, Dan, would you mind kicking us off and introducing yourself and we'll kind of round robin and then get into it? Definitely. Good morning, everyone. Uh, Dan Mott. I'm a LinkedIn coach. I help you build your business on LinkedIn through uh, bootcamp coaching, uh, as well as my new course that just dropped. Uh, so if you want to pre-register now, make sure you reach out. I'm also doing a live training on it on August 26th. So uh, let me know for details. Matt, over to you. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Dan. And I've learned a ton from you regarding LinkedIn. So thank you so much for everything you put out there. It is fantastic. Um, I'm really excited about this morning. Uh, I, I work with leaders to show them how to persuade with power through strategic storytelling. Um, so I travel all over the United States uh, sharing story strategy. But part of that that comes out from that is presentation skills, public speaking, because uh, dominating one stage, so stage dynamics can have a really big part in telling a story, especially from a public speaking perspective. So I'm really excited to hear from, from everyone on the panel today regarding public speaking, especially um, you, Brendan, I'm really excited to kind of do a deep dive into public speaking and different, different ways that we could be more persuasive in front of people. So thank you so much for being here. I'll take it away, Aaron. Hey, good morning, everybody. I know I'm so excited. Uh, Dan, you've taught me so much with in LinkedIn. I'm always like, what do I do now? How do I do this? <laughs> I, I love our back channel chat so much. <laughs> what does this mean? Um, <laughs> and I'm so excited to hear from Brendan because I think we all could use some help when it comes to <clears throat> presenting and public speaking um, and everything. And so, um, so I help uh, small businesses grow revenue and impact through conversational copywriting and online content. A lot of people are like, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to build. And I, I help them with that. Um, so, and I was telling them uh, that today is the first day of school uh, for us over here. And my kids have not been in in-person school since March of 2020. So I'm trying to get my head in the game this morning, you guys, which is quite the morning already. Um, so Claire, back over to you. Oh my gosh, you are not alone. <clears throat> I am so excited for us to get to start school here soon. I know my kids are like chomping at the bit, but for some reason we start later here in Washington. So please let us vicariously live through you and your schools. You're schooling right now. But uh, you know, you guys know I'm Claire Davis. I'm from Traction Resume and I help people get better jobs and sales with great resumes and interview prep. So, you know, what's really neat about conversations like these is a lot of times we we view these kinds of expertise conversations as things we can implement in our business. But when we are in marketing for ourselves, i.e. on the job search, it's also very important to include a lot of these things in our own strategy as well. So I am so excited because Brendan, I think I mentioned to you and I know I, I bragged on you to the team about this, but when I first heard you present, I 
pull, I was in my car listening on my earbuds and I pulled over, which my kids were like, oh my God, why are we sitting in this strange neighborhood, mom? I don't understand. <laughs> but you have such incredible tips and such uh, actionable ways that we can implement today to increase uh, the efficiency and the effectiveness of our public speaking. And I think a lot of times what at least holds up my clients is the interview process. Mm -hmm. You know, we get really nervous and before the interview, it's this great big deal and there's a lot on the line. And so then public speaking can really come into play and in speaking with more effectiveness and more confidence to get our you know, get our mission out there to to be more persuasive and to get our um, our goals met. So I'm really excited to have you here today. And for everyone who isn't already following Brendan, do not wait. Make sure you do this today. You're an incredible public speaking coach. And I love that you're helping ambitious ex executives and coaches to become the top 1% communicators. I think that's a really terrific goal. And I know for me, you helped up level my skill within like the matter of a drive home. So I'm really excited to have you here today. So Brendan, good morning. Thanks for letting us do a super long intro for you. We're all excited to talk about public speaking today. And I think everyone here, I'm seeing Dan pop in. Hey, Crystal Prophet, we had you on a couple weeks ago. Wonderful to see you. Steve's here. We've got some amazing people in the audience too that I know find public speaking to be an area where they have top of mind. So we're excited to get into it. So how are you, Brendan? What's going on? Life is great, everyone. It feels like I have a drive-through service of public speaking, so it's great. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> if you're driving, don't don't listen to Brendan. You'll have to pull over. I'm telling you. <laughs> take notes. <laughs> and you can get burger and fries while you're at it too. Exactly. We'll email you the recording later. Don't worry. <laughs> Exactly. Yes. Be, drive safer out there, everybody. So, so Brendan, tell us a little bit about how you got started. I heard about your public speaking competitions and that, that for me was so interesting because first of all, I didn't know that existed. I'd always heard of, um, you know, you've got spelling bees, you've got things like, you know, when you're practicing in the court setting, but I didn't know there was an actual public speaking competition. So can you tell us a little bit about that and sort of where your foundation is in this stuff? Yeah, absolutely, Claire. And it's great to be here, everyone. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. You know, it was really odd when I started going on podcasts a few years ago and explained this to people. But essentially what this is in a nutshell is while other guys my age in university were playing different sports like football or rugby or something else that's dangerous, what I did instead <laughs> is I applied, I applied that same competition spirit, that same competitive spirit, but to presentations. So for three years, I did that competitively. So this is an actual thing. People actually fly out across the world. Their school pays for them and all their accommodations and everything just for them to present PowerPoint presentations. And if we take the U.S. as an example, like Georgetown University, the University of Florida, the Warren School of Business in Pennsylvania, a lot of these schools are huge case competition schools. But to your point, Claire, almost nobody knows about this. So I was doing these presentations for fun, but also to get a job out of corporate. So most of the best students did these competitions so we can get jobs at IBM, jobs at McKinsey and company. A lot of these big firms, their executives would come to these competitions and scout the best presenters and give them automatic interviews or even job offers in some cases. Wow. So that's why I yeah, learned. Awesome. Yeah, it was kind of weird, right? And that's where, how I learned. <laughs> Getting that scouts for uh, PowerPoint <laughs> presentations. Yes. Very interesting. <laughs> 
Absolutely, man. Especially since we're on LinkedIn, like a lot of these vice presidents would walk into the room. Like once there was a a case on Walmart, and it wasn't like a store manager at Walmart who was judging the competition. It was like the president of Walmart Canada who was just sitting there, wow, and watching oh, wow. us. But the average <laughs> age of people who compete are like twenty one. Wow. Yeah, it was quite the quite the experience. So yeah, I did that for a few years to get a job in corporate, landed a job in management consulting at IBM. And then I, I had the idea for MasterTalk because I realized a lot of the students I was coaching, for free mostly, couldn't afford a speech coach. And mm. at the time, there wasn't that great information on YouTube on how to speak that was practical. So I started making videos in my mom's base and a few years later it turned into an executive coaching practice and this is what I do full time. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. I love it. How many great businesses started in a mom's basement, by the way? I feel like many, many, many of them. We're talking Steve Jobs and the, and the works. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I'm curious about these competitions. So when you have the president of Walmart Canada sitting up there and really evaluating what's going on, what are some things that as a professional speaker, you are able to demonstrate that is really kept, you know, connecting with them and, and capturing their attention enough to say, I'm going to hire you on the spot. What are those things? Absolutely. So, so this is where things get a bit tricky, right, Claire? In the sense that when you're in case competitions, everyone who's there is really good. So you have people from across the world who fly out. So the difference between first and fifth place is not the solution, but rather how you present the solution. So I'll give you a quick example. Usually people don't ask me about this and we get straight to the tips, but I'm happy to give you the, the added context here because I love the curiosity. So let's say a fifth place team would sound something more like this. Uh, hi, everyone. Remember, there's still like 21 or 22, right? Hi, everyone. I hope you're doing well. Uh, my name is Brandon. This is Claire. This is Aaron, Dan, and Matt. Today, we're going to be talking about Walmart and the future. So it's still pretty good for someone who's like 20. But what an A-class team does, this is why I coached people on, because every single impression matter, it would sound something more like this. I remember when I was a kid and I went to my first Walmart, I couldn't believe the electronics, the meat, all of the different items in the store, all conveniently in one location. Walmart, you've revolutionized the way that we think about pricing and creating affordable solutions for consumers across the world. That's why we're very excited to be here and present our solution. Good afternoon to the board of directors of Walmart. My name is Brandon. These are my colleagues, Aaron, Claire, Dan, and Man today. So notice how it's like, oh, damn, yes. like this, this dude and this gal is presenting better than I. So this is what we really it's mic drop. But... Yeah. <laughs> He's right. He's right. Brandon, do you just like when you go to like conferences and you like watch presentations, do you feel that you're just like judging them now and being really snobby about presentations? Recorded? Oh no, this is recorded. I'm supposed to say no. Oh my god. <clears throat> of course not. Yeah, I would never. So one thing I, I noticed there in you know, Matt talks a lot about this, obviously, with his story strategy, is that you started with a little vignette there, a little story, and immediately gave us context into what the whole point is of your speech, right? So is that part of your strategy? Is implementing story up front? Right. So for me, my strategy is a bit more broad. I know Matt's an expert on strategic storytelling. The way I teach it to people is every thing that you teach starts with an outcome and an idea that you want to share. So I always start with what is the idea you want to convey? 
And based on that idea, the next question is, what is the best way to defend that idea? And based on what you're teaching, it's going to differ. So I'll give you an easy example with me. I present to very senior executives at companies like I'm sure most of you do, but I also present to the 10-year-old girl as well because my YouTube channel is not for people who want my coaching services. It's for people who can't afford me. So it's a different, it's kind of like the anti-customer in some ways. So when I'm speaking to 10-year-old Sally, the presentation's a lot more quirky. I make a lot more jokes. And I'm not really giving public speaking advice because that's not what the 10-year-old's looking for. The 10-year-old's looking for a boost of confidence. So I talk mm -hmm. about my high school days when I was a kid. When I'm talking to someone a bit more senior, probably like triple or four times their age, I'm a bit more serious. The, the, every, the ROI of investing in a training is a lot more direct, and there's a lot more KPIs there as well. So yeah, the languaging changes quite a bit. Oh, so interesting. I love that you're serving both audiences. So, um, and after the, at the end of this, let's all make sure to, to make, uh, to, I'll add the links in the chat. So everyone knows exactly where to find you, whether you're on LinkedIn or to work with you directly or also on your YouTube channel. So thank you for sharing that. And, um, <clears throat> so tell us then if you had to start with your top tips for public speaking first, what do you see where's the gap you know where are you seeing the most common mistakes and you know how can you fix them yeah i would say the biggest mistake i always like to turn that on its head is most of us associate public speaking to negative languaging so let's mm -hmm. say when i when i ask people let's say on a live right now that we're on if i ask you to type in the chat words that come to mind when you think of the word public speaking most people tend to say fear or stress mm -hmm or nerves, and that in and of itself is probably the biggest issue. So whenever I coach people, whenever I'm on a live, the first question I always ask people to ponder is how would the world change if you were an exceptional communicator? Because, right, okay. because most of us have been taught our whole lives that public speaking is a chore because every presentation we've given in our lives is mandatory. We don't wake up one morning and say, hey, Claire, Aaron, Matt, Dan, you want to get breakfast and present all day? <laughs> yes. I don't know. You might. I wake up and do it every Thursday. <laughs> That's exactly how I hooked everybody, Brendan. <laughs> and so I, it's, I, I assume there's a lot of psychology along with what you do too, right? Because a lot of people probably come to you and they're like, I got to master this. I got to get through this block, you know? And so it's not all skill. It's up here, right? So how how do you combat that when they come to you and they're like, this is my problem? Because some people may not even recognize that, right? They might just think I'm a horrible speaker. And you're like, it's not really that. There's stuff behind it. So how do you tackle that part of it? Absolutely. And I'd love to get everyone's perspective as well. For me, what's worked well, Erin, is momentum wins everything. You know, most people who come as clients, especially when they're executives or people who want to invest in some sort of training, whether it's Dan's LinkedIn services, Claire's resume, you know, when they're approaching you, they're, they're already really strong or else they wouldn't be investing in themselves. Mm -hmm. So for them, it's mm -hmm. never a knowledge gap. It's always a mindset gap, right? It's always, are we getting that quick win to convince them that they can actually be amazing? So what I do with them, which is super simple is I teach an exercise called the random word exercise, where you essentially just pick a random word like tissue box or basement or doorknob. 
and I just have them present random presentations. And what this does after they do this 50, 70 times is they're a lot better after a couple of hours of doing this than they were at the beginning. So what this does, it's a mental trick where they're immediately convinced that they can do anything. And then after I teach the advanced stuff after. Oh, I love that. It's actually really similar um, to me with working with people with writing or creating content. I'm like, write about anything, write about your kid, write about like the desk in front of you, write about just write, you know, or just, or don't have a topic, just start writing and things will come and things will come. And it's like a muscle, right? So it's very similar, similar take. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I appreciate you mentioning that. I think that's extremely important. And for, for anyone uh, watching and listening to this that watched the Olympics recently, what's fascinating to me about that is you have reporters that will come up to these athletes, they'll shove microphones in their face and they'll say, are you nervous? Are you nervous? Because we're watching and we're saying, wow, if I was on that bar, if I was if I was diving like that, I would be nervous. So they're trying to prompt nervousness in these athletes. None of, none of them will say I'm nervous. What they say is I'm excited. I'm really excited because often, and I'm sure everyone on this call has experienced this, when you're about ready to go and present to an organization, you either reach for anxiety or you reach for that excitement. If you reach for the anxiety, it's gonna be detrimental to your message. You're focusing on the negative outcome. If you reach for the excitement, it's gonna go so much better. And that's what athletes do, right? They don't focus on the negative potential outcome. They focus on the task. And the task at hand for us is just presenting. It's just talking. And we get, we get in these mind loops of what ifs, right? What if I offend someone? What if I say something stupid? What if I forget what I'm supposed to say? That all feeds into the anxiety. That all feeds into the negative potential outcome. So I think it's really important. The mindset that you're talking about is spot on. Like we have to get in the right mindset before we even set foot on stage or before we even talk to a potential client. Absolutely, man. Completely agreed. I think that's a really good point. I've done some exercises too in the past where I've, I've tried to like visualize the outcome. So for example, if I'm going to about to get onto a sales call, I picture myself getting off of the sales call and like in a scenario where that, that went well and how I feel emotionally about it and um, like what actions I'm going to take, right? Like if I then have to go and prepare a contract and send it over, like I'm thinking about that. So like just putting yourself in that mindset, just preparing yourself for that scenario helps you just ra rather than be like, oh crap, I'm, I'm nervous about this call. I don't think I'm gonna do well, right? Like that impacts the actions that you take, the things that you say on that call. Whereas if you're thinking about the positive outcomes post-call, you're you're now like in a positive mindset. You're gonna say things, you're gonna do things that are going to carry you towards that, that outcome, which is really mm -hmm. awesome. So when people first come to you, Brennan, like is that the first step really, you know, it's just kind of getting them comfortable in their own skin and, you know, um, and if so, what's that? What's next? Like, how do you kind of like take them across this journey of them kind of being more confident, you know, in their presenting skills? Yeah, absolutely. And I love everyone's thoughts, by the way. Great, great points as well. I completely agree with what you said, Matt, around, you know, the, the nerves, right? Somebody puts a mic in front of your face. You're kind of just like, well, I don't really... Not really excited to be here. Well, but, but by expressing that excitement, to your point, it, it tricks your mind into into thinking that is, which I love. But yeah, after that, Aaron, you know, after we present that the random word exercise, what I do is I make them do one perfect presentation. One of the challenges, especially in the executive context, or really in our lives, is the presentations are always changing. Ever since we've been like 13 or 15, when we started presenting in high school, all the way up to university and to work. We present once, but the second the presentation's over, we take and we dump it. 
Mm-hmm. Whereas in in when we think of the best speakers in the world, like Tony Robbins, I'm going to Tony's event in November, and he has been doing the same thing for 30 years. Like the same, same Unleash the Power Within, same day one, day two, day three. But the challenge is in, in corporate, you can't really do that because you're always switching priorities. You always got different things to do. So for me, the focus is really mastering one singular presentation, but perfectly. All the vocatones are there. All the variations are there. You pause a lot more. And we really focus on the technique there. And the strategy I can teach people right now, I call it the puzzle method. So when we think of jigsaw puzzle, I'm sure everyone knows a jigsaw puzzle. You know, those toys used to play as kids. My sister and my mom love puzzles. So if I asked the four of you, let's say you're working on a jigsaw puzzle, which pieces would you start with first and why? The edge. The edge. Yeah. <laughs> right. So, so let's easy go to, to identify. Right. Easy exactly. to put together. Mm-hmm. I love it. You're all answering my follow-up questions. It's perfect. So excited. <laughs> <laughs> You're all in sync. So I had a feeling it was coming. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, right? So, so we start with the edge pieces because they're easier to identify. And then we work our way into the middle. But we don't do that in public speaking. We do the opposite. We shove a bunch of content because we have key metrics or deliverables we need to, we need to present at work. And then when we present and practice, we ramble through the entire thing. So when we go to the actual presentation, that's exactly what we do. But the way I teach it is I say, wait a second, start with the edges first, like a puzzle. Practice the intro 50 times, not five times. Do it 50 times. So for those of you listening, 50 times seems like a big number, but your introduction's like two minutes. That's like a minute or two. So you keep practicing it, and then you'll go, wow, this is like the best introduction of my life. <laughs> Same thing with the conclusion. What's a great movie with a terrible ending? Last time I checked, terrible movie, right? (laughs) Same thing. 50 times the conclusion. Mm. Then after a few hours of doing this, I literally have like one week in my program where we're just doing introductions. Another week in my program, we're just doing conclusions and you're presenting it like 10, 15 times. And that's why at week three or four, somebody who starts and is really nervous, isn't sure about public speaking, has a lot of limiting beliefs around it. In four weeks, they go, yeah, let's go to the world championships of uh, public speaking. <laughs> it's just about knowing how to practice. It's just the education system didn't teach us it that way. Mm-hmm. It's, it's fascinating that you're saying about teaching it that way. So I, I have a lot of clients that are politicians. And what's fascinating to me is some of these individuals have been getting on stages for decades and they're terrible public speakers. And then they come to me and we, we, we work on the story strategy and figure things out. But it's fascinating that anyone listening that is an executive, that is a CEO, you may have given hundreds of presentations. It doesn't necessarily mean you're doing them correctly and you're doing them to the point where you're being as effective as possible. So I really don't think with what you're saying, you're talking about practicing perfect scenarios, not just practicing, where I think a lot of people mess up is they just practice, but they're practicing the wrong stuff. So I think it's key what you're saying, focusing on those edges, focusing on what really matters right from the start. But I would ask, my my question to that would be for people that are consistently presenting and they know something's off, something's off, but they don't, they can't quite pinpoint it. What would you say is one of the biggest mistakes people make that have been presenting for a while that they just can't, they, they can't observe what they're doing. They can't get out of their head to figure it out. But you know, 
from your experience that it is a mistake? What would you say the biggest mistake is that they need to work on, even if they've been presenting for, for quite some time? Yeah, I think that's a great question, man. I, I would say the biggest mistake most most experienced speakers make is they lose touch with their audience. What mm -hmm. do I mean by that more specific? And then I had a question for you, Matt, that, that I think might interest you as well. But the the reason I say that is because as somebody gets more and more into the speaker circuit, they stop having dinners with their audience. So I'll tell you the reason this might be interest people. How did I figure out this puzzle analogy? The way I figured it out, my secret is I actually coach my executives as kids as a give back. I mean, I charge a bit of money, but it's not as much as I charge with the executive. So the reason is why do I do it? Because if the six-year-old can't implement my advice, then my advice doesn't stand because simplicity is so important in the work that I do. So when I talk to a six-year-old, they're literally going, what's an introduction? What's a conclusion? I don't get an organic presentation. So I use puzzles in a fun way to do that. And the reason I do this, I always want to keep a pulse on those 10-year-olds because it helps me sharpen up my, my acts with my YouTube videos and the way that I share content with the masses. So that's the way I think about it. So let's say we, we take a lot of the best speakers on the circuit, like Tony Robbins and Gary Vee. They're in a position in their careers, Bernie Brown's another great example, where they really don't have to talk to anyone in the audience. They just show up, get paid 100 grand or something, and just go back home. What fascinates me the most, especially with someone like Vaynerchuk, is he still spends those extra 17 minutes right before he leaves his flight to talk to seven of them. He still oh. spends that extra 13 minutes to talk to them. Why? Because he always wants to stay sharp with this audience. And I think the, the, the experienced speakers, they kind of lose that touch. But the question I had back to you, Matt, because I don't have experience with this, is what do you think are the biggest differences between coaching politicians and executives of companies? Yeah. Politicians and executives of companies. So there's, there's different strategy that goes into politics than into business. So in the political world, especially in the United States, there's astronomical sums of money pumped into the political environment. So just to give you an idea, uh, when we have a presidential election in this country, each candidate raises up to a billion dollars each, plus you have all the congressional races, which is about a billion dollars. So you have roughly $3 billion being pumped into negative ads all across the major media markets in the US, which causes a lot of communication strategy that needs to go into it to combat that. So for instance, I'll give, you, I'll give you an example of what happened about a couple of years back. I was coaching a politician. This was just fascinating to me. I'm coaching this gentleman. Uh, we had worked for weeks on an event that was extremely important for him to do well, extremely important. Uh, it was like life or death when it came to his career. Wow. And there was about, or there were many, many, many people in the room, several hundred people in the room. He gets up and I'm sitting in the back. I'm taking it all in, watching the whole thing unfold. And it was a rough audience. Like it was a rough audience. And after the event, I pulled him aside and I said, how, how do you think you did? And he said, I did awesome. And I said, really? I said, what, what makes you say that? Oh, he said, oh, you didn't see who was sitting in the front? And he, he basically said, so-and-so. So he was referring to a specific reporter for a very large media company and he said, I nailed it because that person's going to go write an awesome story about what happened and it's going to really appeal to who I need to appeal to. So basically everyone else in that room wasn't necessarily on board with something that he said, which caused a tremendous amount of friction. So the audience present 
uh, there was a lot of strife and yelling and everything, but the reporter did have this person's back when it came to what he was saying. So that's the difference between the business world and the political world. He was talking to an audience of one at that moment, and he did knock it out of the park. And what ended up happening with the reporting was right, like he said, and there were many, many people that read that story and it was a positive thing. So to answer your question, there's a lot more strategy when it comes to communication. And it's more, it's more like a messaging chess board, if you will. And in the business world, you can't do that. You can't alienate 99% of your team. Uh, that's just not, not good business. So I would say in the business world, it's a lot easier to have a messaging strategy. You're not, you're not worried about people dumping tons of attack ads in, into you and, and character assassinations. So hopefully that, that answers your question. Yeah, that's fascinating. Thanks for sharing, man. Definitely. <laughs> hey, uh, we got a question from uh, Crystal in the, uh, in the chat. Do you have advice from speaking to an audience that's in different stages of their journey? just starting versus six to 12 months into their journey? Ooh, I, I would love to get, uh, if that person could clarify what specific topic they're presenting, it'll help more, but I can give you general ideas right now. What I always like to say is even people later on the journey, always like a refresher from the beginning of the journey. I'll give you the best oh, yeah. example of this. There are so many people I know to the point that it's weird that just keep going back to Tony Robbins' seminar, even if they know that it's the same seminar every single time, word for word, script by script. So we asked them, why do you keep going back? Oh, because it's just a great reminder. It's a great refresher, and he's such a great speaker. So what I always like to trend towards, unless, unless, you're, unless the question is more specifically around 80% of the audience is like experts and 20% aren't, my general tendency is simplify first and then add a bit of complexity as seasoning. So mm -hmm. I would keep the principles, if at least 20% of the audience is pretty beginner, I would keep it simple for all of them to understand because even the experts will relate to that simplicity. Mm -hmm. And then I would add a bit more seasoning for some complex things. So I might add one or two things towards the end of the speech that's a bit more nuanced which in my field, which that would equate to something like communication goal setting, which mm -hmm. I would never teach a beginner. Interesting. Interesting. You know, I like that too, because what I found is, for example, when I'm coach, I coach primarily managers and executives with interviews. But, you know, having been in this business for, you know, almost 10 years, sometimes I can get in that world of, you know, the, like you said, the nuances and forget that even though people have reached a certain level in their career, the basics are still very appreciated. And, you know, we all know we can't build into the nuances until we have handled the basics or have a really good grasp. Like you were talking about with practicing that perfect intro over and over and over. Until we have that baseline, we really, you know, how effective can we be with the more complex pieces of our goals? So that's really interesting. That's really interesting. Do you, Brendan, I'm curious, do you mostly coach or teach people um, to speak as if they're just on stage doing um, live presentations or do you also do like, live, if you're live on online or if you're on a podcast or, you know, different mediums or what, what do you focus on? Absolutely. So the way I teach it applies for all of the areas you mentioned, Aaron, but there's an air, there's an order in how I tackle it. So at the beginning, it'll start with the core foundation, just getting present skills, right? To your point, it's 
conversations with people? How do you talk to people in a way that they're like, oh, I kind of like this person or I really don't, or the way that we prepare for interviews. So there's different contexts to how we communicate. So the way I think about it is it's an order. So you start with presentations first, and then the skill set that you develop as a presenter then starts trickling over everything else. I call this the multiplier effect of communication, hmm. where as you get better at one thing, you get better in other things. I'll give you a quick example with me recently. <clears throat> I was I was pretty well-rounded in terms of lives and podcasts, but when a social media app called Clubhouse started in December of last year, I had a lot of trouble communicating on the app because you don't see anybody. It's mm. just audio. You pretty much talk for 30 seconds every 30 minutes, so you need to make sure that whenever you open your mouth on Clubhouse that it's super sharp mm -hmm. and that you say something impactful because they won't hear from you from another 30 minutes. <laughs> yeah. So it's just a completely different format. But because I started with the foundation of everything else I'd learned in communication, it was much easier for me to ramp up on that platform. So mm. that's kind of the general idea I'd give for people as advice is start with the area that will will bring you the most ROI, which is generally presentation skills for most people. And then after that, focusing on conversational skills, and that gets you 80% of the way there. Okay. And then do you work with many people who, I mean, some presentations are, it's a one-way street. You are presenting, you're done, off, you know, but I think so much more now, we want to engage the audience, right? So we're just, it's not a two, it's a, we want it to be a two-way street. So what's your advice there? Like if you're trying to um, get the audience involved in the conversation, what kind of tips do you tell people for that? Yeah, good. These are great questions, by the way. So, so the way I think about it is one way first, two way after. Like for me, it's always, what's the easiest win that we can get someone and then once someone's comfortable doing a presentation one way, it's easier for them to transition two ways. So I'll give you an example with this very podcast. I would have struggled a lot on this show if it was my first show because there's four different hosts. Mm -hmm. right? So it's not, it's not what I'm used to, which is one person. And then I can speak for, let's say, two and a half minutes. And then they ask another question. It's kind of like a ping pong. Mm -hmm. Whereas now we're ping ponging between five different people. So yeah. this is something that I would have had a lot of difficulty doing, even if I'm a communication expert last year, because I'm not used to multiple hosts. But after you do this for several more times, you know, oh, okay, somebody else asks you, oh, I can need a pause now. So then my, my, my talk time as we're bouncing back and forth goes down a bit now because there's more people on the call, right? So same thing with this. I always ask myself, what's the easiest win? especially if you're a facilitator, like let's say you're an executive at a company and you're generally talking about the same things over and over again. It's just the clients will change. Mm -hmm. So at the beginning, it's more of get really good at strategic planning presentations because you're going to be doing that over and over again. Status meetings too. And then as you build up a lot of confidence there, then to your point, Aaron, then you can you get a lot better at making it more of a two-way conversation or a three-way or et cetera. Okay. I appreciate you mentioning that. And you had said, you know, focusing on the presentation skills, that's, that's extremely important. I went to a conference a few years ago and there was a gentleman who got up and he spoke on leadership. It was a half an hour presentation. 
And I kid you not, he used well over 100 slides, 100 PowerPoint slides within that half an hour, gorged with content. I mean, tons of bullet points, gorged with content from an education perspective, from an information perspective. I mean, he essentially wrote a book and put it on a PowerPoint presentation. <laughs> the next individual that stood up after him didn't use any PowerPoint, didn't use any handouts, talked about connecting with people, talked about vulnerability, about trust, fascinating presentation, fascinating. And the reason why I mentioned that is because it doesn't really matter if you are a CEO, if you're an executive, if you are an intense, uh, successful sales professional, we want to be entertained. And I think that's really important, right? Entertainment, in my opinion, in some instances and presentations are more important than the, edu the education. Because in that scenario, you could have someone get up and they can give an incredible, as far as from a content perspective, gorged with content. I don't remember a single thing. I mean, 100 slides, you know, Brandon, 100, 100 slides in 30 minutes is nuts. Absolutely, it's, it's insanity. But you can get up and give very few concepts in a half an hour, but be wildly entertaining, hold the audience in the palm of your hand, and they remember everything that you said because of that entertainment. And I just want everyone listening to kind of pay attention to the way, uh, Brandon, you've been talking, you've been using your hands, you've been looking around at, at the different co-hosts, the, the way that you present yourself is part of that entertainment factor. It's, it's sucking the audience in and keeping them engaged. And I think you focusing on those presentation skills is just so unbelievably important versus the, hey, let me tell you a million different things <laughs> in half an hour. Absolutely. I appreciate that, man. Definitely. Yeah. And I've seen hey. people do uh, a bunch of slides, but they're not, they don't have a ton of content, right? So it's more of like a, a way to keep the conversation going because they're mm -hmm. constantly switching the slides, right? So they're like keeping your attention going along with them, but it's not, there's like one point, you know, on each slide. Um, and I've seen other people present with imagery or just like they'll put like a number up on the slide. And then they'll speak to that, what that, you know, the impact of that number is or a photo, you know, and it's not text at all, you know, so I do, I agree with you, Matt. I think it's, if it's, if it's more from you, you know, and less of like, let's read this slide together, you know, it's like, <laughs> it's more captivating and they're going to remember, comprehend what you're trying to get across. So true. Brendan, um, oh, go ahead, Matt, or Dan. We've got a lot of really great questions oh, in cool. the chat, yeah. um, but we're, I know we're coming up on time here. Brendan, you down for like a quick fire round? Oh yeah, let's do it. Let's yeah. Do it. Okay. <laughs> awesome. Uh, so some questions reading backwards uh, from Victoria Franco. I get panic attacks. Is, is developing this skill enough to handle them? So the way I think about that is great question. To keep things really simple with fear, we could have probably a 15 minute conversation about that. But the way I see it, it's kind of like a boxing match. One side of the ring is your message. The other side of the ring is your fear, your anxiety, your stress, because we're all scared. Even I'm stressed a lot when I present, especially to new audiences. So for me, the focus is never getting rid of the fear, but rather back to the boxing match analogy, the fear will always be in the ring, but as long as your message gets the knockout punch every single time, you'll be successful. So it's not that exceptional speakers aren't scared. I, I think anyone who says this is either lying or crazy, or I guess really, really good. I think it's more of a question of the message that they have to share is a lot more important than the fear. And really quickly about myself, like, I mean, I started coaching executives at the C-suite when I was 22. Who in the world am I to do that? 
But the reason it gave me the confidence to is because I created videos, not for those executives when I started, but for the 15 year old girl who couldn't afford me. So because I was razor focused on the message rather than the fear, I got really good at coaching girls like her. And I eventually built my confidence up to coach people who are much older than me. That's a great point. I still sweat on every single sales call. So <laughs> uh, from, from Steve Sellen, uh, what do you see people having the most difficulty with public speaking? Are people scared or nervous or both? I would say the biggest difficulty is seeing the positives of what communication can do for them. It's really hard to stay accountable to communication for the most part, unless you have a small group of friends or a coach pushing you, right? Someone like mm -hmm. Matt who is pushing you to say, hey, let's keep working on this. Let's keep uh, doing this, right? Yeah. So that, that's the key. Uh, so for me, it's always focusing on how communication will improve your lives. And this is where I think most people miss is they focus too much on the promotions at work or the, the monetary benefit of communication versus just talking to the people around you. And one fun fact about me, me and my sister haven't been in a fight in over 10 years. Nice. We've never fought because when you communicate effectively – there's never any issues. And every problem oh, wow. always stems from miscommunication, whether that's at work in your personal life. So getting really clear what's exciting for you with communication will first motivate you to even watch live streams like this and go on like, you know, YouTube videos or hire a coach or do something with it. I love that. That's awesome. Wow. Uh, Andy York asks, how about an introvert who is generally quiet trying to stand out in the corporate world among so many talkative extroverts? Great question. I was like flipping that on its head. I think what most introverts don't get, because a lot of my best clients are introverts. They're not extroverts. And the reason introverts are so much better, but also why they don't know they're better, is because they don't first understand what advantages they have over extroverts. And I'll name a couple. Number one, introverts are exceptionally good at pausing. Extroverts like me have a really difficult time pausing because I always want to talk, 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 talk and give answers instead of just taking a breath. Introverts speak less on average. So pausing, they'll master in like a day of me coaching them on this. Whereas an extrovert, it's kind of more like a fight. <laughs> I kind of have to get them like, no, you need to stop. And it, it's, it's difficult, but it doesn't. It's okay. So one, two, they're exceptional listeners. Introverts are much better at listening to an audience's needs because they spend less time talking. So that's why you see introverts are a lot better at writing and they're a lot more thoughtful whenever they present ideas because they speak a lot less and think and reflect more. This is something I've learned from them as well. And number three, this is an advantage introverts and most people actually aren't aware of, is introverts are a lot less controversial. So when we think of someone like Gary Vaynerchuk, you either really like the guy, like me, I'm a big fan, or you really don't. There's never a middle ground where you say, I'm indifferent towards Gary Vaynerchuk. <laughs> <laughs> but the opposite isn't true. There's nobody, I, I, I've yet to meet a human being who says, I hate Brene Brown. Yeah, that'd nobody, be hard to do. It'd be really mm -hmm. hard to do. They're a lot more accessible. They speak to a wider group of people. So what's the conclusion here for my introverts? My conclusion is this. Forget the fact that you're an introvert or an extrovert. Rather, ask yourself, who are you and what can you learn from the other person? That's awesome. I love that, I love that advice. That's, That's terrific. Brandon, you mentioned something that is one of the pillars you talked about when I first heard you which was pausing, which 
revolutionized the way I thought about public speaking because I was always more focused on the speaking part than the pausing part. So can you talk a little bit about why that's important and how to do it? Absolutely. So, so the idea behind pausing is it draws emphasis towards the key points. See what I'm doing here? The key points <laughs> of your message, right? I think, yeah, it's, and, it, and it also requires a lot of practice. So I'll give you the simple trick. As Actually, let me start by explaining why we struggle with it. The reason most of us struggle with it is it's a mindset trick. Whenever you're in front of an audience and you pause, your immediate reaction, if you're not trained in communication, is, what is everyone else thinking of me? What is Aaron, Matt, Dan, and Claire, and everyone else is watching? <laughs> because I'm not saying anything. So do I look dumb or whatever? That's the, the conversations that are happening. Whereas yeah. the best speakers on the planet can pause forever and never make it seem awkward at all. But obviously we don't have forever, so take my word for it. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the point I wanna bring is once you learn how to pause uncomfortably for minutes on end, it's much easier for you to pause for a couple of seconds. So here's the trick everyone, even if I know only 1% of you will actually implement this, but you'll go really far if you do it, is I call it the long, the endless gaze. So go up to somebody that you really spend, like spending time with, sit down with them, and just stare at them for a few minutes without talking. <laughs> Most people, I know, I know executives who are so don't, very- so Don't do this at a park bench, right? <laughs> <laughs> like a random. You, you know, it's funny that and everyone else. I have clients who can't even do this with their wives. They go, Brendan, I can't, it's been a minute, I can't do it. And I was like, you're gonna sit there and you're gonna stare at her or him. For, actually, women have a much easier time doing this, but like the men, oh my God, it's so hard. They just they just, they just start panting. And I remember I used, to, I used to coach people when I was really young and I was starting with this because a lot of these 19, 20 year old kids had big egos. They were like, this is a stupid exercise. But after 60 seconds of doing this, they would start doing this. And I would go, Kevin, you got to keep looking at me, buddy. And then after two minutes, he's like twitching on the floor. Right? So, <laughs> but it's okay. Do this for a couple of weeks and you'll be very comfortable pausing for two or three seconds in an actual presentation. So I, I really appreciate you mentioning that because pausing, as you mentioned, is so unbelievably important. Just to show you how important it is. And back to your point on we think the audience is thinking something, but in reality, they're thinking something else. I, I tie into the National Speakers Association in, in Philadelphia when I can, and there was a speaker who told me this story that he was at a conference, he was presenting, and he forgot part of his talk, and he didn't know what to do, so he just paused. And he paused for about 20 to 30 seconds until he could regain what he was thinking. After the, his talk was over, he went down and he was mingling there were multiple people that came up to him afterwards and said, thank you so much for that long pause. It gave me an opportunity to catch up. I can't, you were amazing with what you did on stage that you thought to, to let us take it all in and think that that long. He was freaking out thinking they're gonna think I look stupid. They're gonna think all this stuff. And they actually ended up thinking this guy was an absolute genius for pausing. Now I don't recommend people purposely pause 20 to 30 seconds, but just back to your point on just the value that pausing can have. <laughs> That's funny. That's a great story. <laughs> That's great. Okay, so 
what's some, I see we're getting, we're inching up to the top of the hour. So before we do, what's something, well, actually, let me ask you this first. One question I've been getting over and over from people who knew that we were going to have you on our live today was, Claire, I awe and um and stutter around when I'm speaking. And it doesn't help me come across with confidence. It's not fluid. How do I stop umming and awing? So can you share a little bit about that? Absolutely. So there's a couple of things to keep in mind with ums and ahs. I call it the cause and effect relationship between pauses and filler words like um, ah, uh, eh. You need to first master pausing before you get to the filler words. So mm. you need to be comfortable with the idea of just pausing for two minutes. And then after you do that, don't worry, I won't pause for two minutes. And then after <laughs> you'll be like, hmm. I was like okay. <laughs> and then after you do that, the trick is then you start to replace your filler words with pauses. But the idea that I really want people to focus on, and this is how I teach it, is it's Public speaking is like juggling 18 balls at the same time, everyone. You have to do the ums and ahs. You have to look at people. You have to smile. You have to like uh, interact with people. So it gets really stressful for people who are beginners. So I always like to keep things simple. And the simple idea is this. I don't even care if you say gibberish in a speech. If you're just practicing filler words and that's your focus, you could literally go and then you're like, Focusing on just pausing whenever you want to say filler words and just doing that for a couple weeks, not focusing on the content, just the filler words, you'll improve a lot faster. And the challenge with most people is that they have trouble practicing filler words because they're going, oh, well, I now, and now I just forgot my content. So, oh, uh, and then they start freaking out. Mm -hmm. So instead, it's more just talk gibberish and just focus on pausing every time that you want to say a filler word. Oh, that's interesting. That's a fun exercise too. And definitely something everyone can practice today. Absolutely. Okay, one other question I, I saw in the chat earlier um, comes from Nicole. And she and I were having a conversation earlier this week about being interrupted. And I can say, hands down, one of the biggest hurdles that I had when I was public speaking was I was getting interrupted all the time. And I've since sought some training to combat that but do you have any advice for those who feel like ah, i'm getting interrupted all the time how can i either speak with more confidence or be more fluid so that doesn't happen anymore right so i'll be honest when i say you're going to get interrupted like that's just life it's going to sure. happen like even in this live right there's there's going to be situations where oh right aaron wants to jump in or claire wants to jump in or so even if it's not malicious there's going to be situations where you're always going to get interrupted. So here's here's the trick that I have. It's more of a mindset trick that's that's a bit funny. I don't know, some people will get it, some people won't. Yeah. I always like to imagine that every person who's interrupted me is like a five-year-old. So I'll give you an example. When a five-year-old <laughs> comes up to you and says, well, like, uh, blah, 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 blah. Do you get mad at the five-year-olds? No. Why would you? They're just, they don't know any better. Right. Mm -hmm. And this is more effective when you have an actual like a malicious executive who's always interrupting you all the time is when you start to perceive them as five year olds, you, you become a lot more patient with them. That's mm -hmm. another reason I coach kids, because it helps me be patient. <laughs> it teaches me because they're always interrupting me all the time, not because they hate Brendan, but because they just have a question and they're like, hey, I have a question. So it's not about me saying, hey, Q&A at the end. Like, no, those, those five year olds. <laughs> It's about saying, 
Yes, Julia, go for it. And then she goes, right? So so when I'm talking to 60-year-old Julia, I'm just using random names here, and and they, they talk about a concern that they have in the boardroom, I'm a lot more patient. And that's also one of the secrets of how I matured really quickly with my coaching and how I communicated in a more mature way because I kept treating everyone like five-year-olds. So that's a that's trick. <laughs> People can, uh, I became much more mature when I realized everyone else around me was so immature. <laughs> and the, the other piece as well that you, uh, I love this. <laughs> the, the other piece as well is when you're in a, I'm sure you've seen professional athletes who get interrupted all the time by sports reporters, right? They go, about I have a question on this and are you still dating this? And they're like, this has nothing to do with the game. And, but, but the reason is they're so calm is they realize they're in control, mm. not the person who's interrupting them. Mm. And as long as we realize that, hey, wait a second, like I'm the one who's giving the answers. I'm the one who's in control, and I want everyone to start developing that. You'll be a lot more patient with everyone's answers because at the end of the day, you're the person in control. Mm. And that's mm -hmm. why the sports professional, whenever they get interrupted, they just, they just wing it off because – if that person's interrupting them too much, they just pick another report and go, yeah, don't bother me. I'm just going to go yeah. the other. So if we start to adapt that mentality more, we'll also be more successful. I really like that. That's a really good point. When I, when I coach politicians, I actually, I tell them to get excited when they see protesters at their events. And the reason for that is because they're offering them a gift. Yep. If you have people that are shouting at you, they're being extremely hostile in a meeting and there's, there's news outlets there. That's your time to shine. That's your time to really show who you are, how you're not able to get knocked off your game. They're actually offering you a gift to even be more memorable if you do it in a good way. So I, I appreciate what, what you said. It's all, a lot of this is mental. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yep. Um, Matt, I think, because gosh, we only have two minutes left, you guys. This has been really was a really quick hour, you know, because I'm like, I can't. It keep was. Talking. I'm like, There's more anyway. questions in the chat, but I wasn't even going to bother asking them. I know. Like, I know. Like we're going to fly over. <laughs> well, I think, I think a, few people, uh, a few people want to um, send messages to you, Brendan. I know some people are like, please, have some yeah, offline chats. Um, so, where can they find you? Where can people connect with you? Yeah, the easiest way for that is definitely just DM me on LinkedIn. Feel free to connect. Send me an invite with a note that you came from Power Hour. I'm more than happy to strike up a conversation. The other way is definitely the YouTube channel. All you have to do is type master talk in one word, and you'll find all of my thought leadership on communication and public speaking. Awesome. That's so awesome. I'm going to put oh that gosh. in the chat, too, so everyone can just pop over. Thank you, Brendan. I see so many chats throughout our discussion of people saying, this is amazing. This is so helpful. You know, so you've yeah. helped a lot of people today, just so people have shown up live. And I'm sure there'll be a ton of people watching the recording. So thank you for your time today. This has been incredible, really. Of course. Thanks for having me, everyone. Yeah. So if you're listening in your car, you can, you know, turn the ignition on again. <laughs> if you have pulled over in a strange neighborhood to capture these gems from Brendan and the Power Hour crew this morning, drive safely, everyone. Thank you so much for being with us. Brendan, we are so grateful to have had you here today. And Aaron, Dan, and Matt, you guys are amazing. I'm so glad for everyone who was able to connect in the chat and then obviously Make sure that you do send that personalized DM to Brendan. Connect with him offline after this as well. And go check him out on YouTube. We are so grateful to have had everybody here on Power Hour. And, um, you know, we, as we say every week, our, 
time is our greatest commodity. So the fact that you spend it here with us this morning is really, uh, it doesn't go unnoticed. We're so grateful to you for that. So thanks everybody for being here. And thanks again, Brendan. This was awesome. This is awesome. Like we knew it would be. So thank you so much. <laughs> All right, guys. Thanks, have a thanks, wonderful everyone. day. Bye, guys. Take Happy care. Thursday. Bye.